Our talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Friday Buckeye Talk. Cleveland.com, Doug Marie, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, and we are reacting to the interviews we did on Thursday with the Ohio State Buckeyes where we talked to offensive linemen and defensive linemen. We will focus on this episode on the offensive line. That means Justin Fry and the guys are either locked in or fighting for spots. We will get to defensive line sometime next week, but there's just too much going on to try to lump it all into one giant podcast. So we will start at left tackle and we'll work our way through the five positions and talk about what Justin Fry said about guys. We talked to basically all the guys who were in the mix for jobs. So that means at left tackle, Josh Fryer to begin. Nathan Baird. And this is one, I think, of the more interesting positional situations at Ohio State in the last X amount of years because it is a vital spot where they are sort of forced to make an assumption about a guy who has had a solid career so far but maybe is being asked to, and not even asked, it's almost like begged to fill a role that maybe he that wasn't exactly what they thought when they brought him in. Because bottom line, a lot of times, Ohio State at very important spots is plugging in a five-star. That's what we're talking about here. Josh Fryer wasn't a five-star. Josh Fryer's been good, but this is the kind of thing that has happened a lot at like right tackle or has happened a lot at, one of the safety spots, but like this, this is left tackle, man. So how does Josh Fryer feel, Nathan, this spring as the presumed starting left tackle, certainly the favorite at the very least. And it's one of the more interesting things we're watching. Yeah. I think I phrased it as, you know, now it being his job to lose and Justin Fry didn't like the way that I had phrased that and said, well, I certainly didn't say that. But that's all. That's what we're all seeing. That's where he, you know he's leading that position right now, and he's a guy who you know, had a rough couple of years. Whether that was you know getting through, you know you're coming in as an as a as, a, as you say a lower ranked guy. You've got to prove yourself. You hit the little COVID hiccup that throws a lot of things off and, and interrupts your development. You tear your ACL, and now you've got to spend the off season coming back from that at a crucial point in your career where you're trying to make a jump and be more involved. But he does all that and comes all the way back and is then in a job last year that is both, a, I think, an important transition for him being that sixth offensive lineman, but then can also have its own frustrations when you're like, you're right there on the cusp of being a, a big part of the offense, but also kind of at an arm's length, like, we'll get to you when we need you. You can come in and do special things, but you're not one of the five starting offensive linemen. So for a long time, it was a guy where a word that kept coming up today was confidence. Whether that was the confidence that he now feels on a day-to-day basis, a guy that said that he used to, um, you know, not have a lot of confidence every day as it came to practice, and now he looks forward to practice because now he knows that he belongs. He feels like he's proven it. He can feel it when he's out on the field. That's not to say that you you're dominating against the kind of edge rushers that Ohio State has on every rep, but he feels like he has built up to this point where now it shouldn't be a big uh, question that he's the one that's getting this opportunity at left tackle. Can we just make sure we, when did he tear his ACL? So he's, he's class of 2020. So this is his fourth year in the 21. program. Yep. Spring 21. 
Spring 21, so he missed the 21 season because of the torn ACL. Right. Mm -hmm. So 2020 is the COVID year. He's a true freshman. You're an offensive lineman ranked in the 500s. You're just supposed to come in, find where the bathrooms are, get the training table, get to the weight room, and put on weight. So, But it's a goofy year. So year one, which is already goofy for any freshman football player, is extra goofy. Then year two, it's like, ah, okay. We're getting back to normal, but he tears his ACL in the spring and it blows it up. Then year three, he's like their sixth offensive lineman. So that is pretty good, con- like considering that his first two seasons were basically nothing through through like no fault of his own, mm-hmm. through a global pandemic and a serious injury. It's like basically lost. And then year three, he's like right there. He starts a game. Like, he's ready to contribute. So that is pretty darn good. So, I don't know, Stephen, did I, like, begin this podcast by unfairly presenting Josh Fryer as and his bona fides as a left tackle candidate here? Because guess what? Like, kind of like the first time he actually got a chance to do anything as a football player, he did something. No, I, I, I think there's reason to have some optimism that he will be good at this. That is not the question we're asking, though. The problem is he is coming after a guy who spent the past year proving he was the first-round talent we thought he was. And the guy before that, Nicholas Petit-Frere, was pretty good in his own right up until, of course, he went up and get the number two pick in the NFL draft and won a job as a, as a rookie in Tennessee. There, a month before that, was a three-year starter. It's not like he there's there's been a standard set at that position that it's fair to question whether or not Josh Fryer or anybody who was coming after Paris was going to meet that standard. Now, does he give you the best chance of doing it? Yes, of the people in the room, given the recruiting misses and all that that we've discussed. But there was always the – they got three really lower-rated guys in the 2020 class, how many of them could hit. And it would seem that before the torn ACL, Josh Fryer was on his way to proving that maybe he would be a hit. And then he has come back from that torn ACL and proven that, yes, there's a very good chance he might be a hit of those three three guys under that category. So I know there are people who sometimes say we hang on to the recruiting rankings too long. Maybe I do especially. And then it's like, hey, man, I don't know. This guy, Tommy Eichenberg, his re- it's like, who cares what Tommy Eichenberg's recruiting ranking is? He plays with no thumbs and he's a second-team All-American. But because Fryer kind of had two lost years, he has one year of college play to really go on. I think you're just looking for information. So, Nathan, Stephen, if I'm being unfair, stop me. But I'm just going to read something. Because in the rankings for 247 Sports, the composite rankings, he was ranked as a guard, mm-hmm. not a tackle. Now he's a tackle, which is which is like already – I mean, that's not a big deal. But it's sort of like, I don't know, this guy's a guard. It's like, nope, he's a left tackle. It's like, okay, that's fine, that's fine. I was just ranking in high school. So he was, according to the 247 Sports Composite in the class of 2020, the number 28 guard in the country. I'm going to read you guards 20 through 35, where they committed out of high school. Northwestern, South Carolina, West Virginia, Kentucky, Michigan State, Auburn, LSU, Auburn, Ohio State, Josh Fryer. Washington, Oklahoma State, Arkansas, Iowa, Western Kentucky, Oklahoma State, Missouri. So part of my reference point there, Nathan, is he is a recruit in the mix, surrounded by players, going to schools 
that are not typically viewed as being on the same level of Ohio State, either from a recruiting standpoint or in a success on the field, national championship contender kind of standpoint, right? So, okay, like a guy, if Josh Fryer didn't wind up at Ohio State going by where the guys around him got recruited, he might be at Missouri. He might be at Oklahoma State. He might be at Washington or Western Kentucky or Auburn, which is good, but it's not Ohio State. So Nathan, that's part of like why, right? That it is, he is already, to his credit, he is exceeding things. Getting the Ohio State offer maybe is exceeding things. Becoming the sixth offensive lineman at Ohio State is maybe exceeding things. Being the favorite to be the starting left tackle at Ohio State in year four is maybe exceeding things. So all credit to Josh Fryer. We want to make clear, this is not really a Josh Fryer conversation. This is an Ohio State building its offensive line conversation. And that's where we've had questions and covered that a million times. But the result is, here's Josh Fryer. So Nathan, like, does that, was that a, how did that come up at all with Josh Fryer? Of like, hey man, like, hey, I don't know. I don't know if anyone asked Western Kentucky in phrasing a question. No. But was that put to him in some way, shape, or form? No, I think, yes, that vibe was sort of out there in general that, you know, you didn't, you know, he knows he didn't come in as a five star. And and, and I think that there is a general impression, and I'm sure that this probably every year there's the one position group that's like, well, people don't think we're because there's there's always like one question. So every spring we always get and it usually happens into preseason camp too. like, well, people people think we're terrible because. We have to replace three out of the five starters. Like, no, like, nobody's saying you stink, but it's like we haven't seen whether you're good or not. And then there are factors in here like you weren't Paris Johnson Jr. and Donovan Jackson stepping into these positions. It weren't the guys who every school in the country was dying to get. Um, so, yeah, he is keenly aware of things that are out there. He even said, like, he has read things. He has seen things. He's a, he's aware of not even so much about him, though partially about him, but about the offensive line in general, but 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 also about him, that there's people out there that doubt whether or not he's good enough and that this is going to mean a deficient Ohio State offensive line this fall. And he can be as mad about that as he wants and as, as um, disappointed and insulted by that as he wants. But until you actually go stand up to the edge rushers that they're going to play, that those doubts are still going to be there for some people. Did he seem insulted or angry about that idea? Sure. A little bit. Yep. Yeah. Good. No, I mean, like that's, you know, it's one of those things. Like you said, it, it's not really about that. This is, we've talked about this before. Perception conversations kind of are not that fun. It's about, are, are you going to be, whatever the perception is, are you going to be good or not? Are you going to rise to the Ohio State standard? But then I think the thing we do have to understand is, young men being put in positions that they can't control the context. They can't control the people around them. They can't control the recruiting hits or misses that helped lead us to this position where the guy who was the number 28 guard four years ago is now expected to be Ohio state's left tackle. So that is what it is. And there's no better thing in the world to do than go out and like prove the haters wrong. I, I really like proving the haters wrong is great. Talking about your desire to prove the haters wrong is like one of my least favorite things that can happen because uh, just go do your thing. 
who cares? So I do like when people are like, I think even we're going to get the defensive line later, but you know, somebody brought up something about Tyleek Williams and Tyleek Williams is like, I don't, I don't know what people, who cares? I don't care. What people think it's like, yes, don't care. <laughs> don't care what we think. Okay. Who's the backup left tackle, which maybe we should go to left guard because maybe that's the answer. Who like the Justin who's in the, did another name, Nathan come out of Justin Fry's mouth. In connection with the position left tackle? No. <laughs> so just to be clear, it's 28th guard in the class of 2020 or bust at left tackle. Just so we know. But Justin Fry's like, oh, 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 I never said he was the favorite. It's like, can you name another left tackle on this team? And he's like, no, I cannot. Right? <laughs> Is that how that went down? All Justin right. Fry, top two answers on the board. Here's the question. Name someone who could play left tackle for Ohio State this year. Buzz, Josh Fryer, ding, number one. And then he got three X's looking for number two. Who's the backup left tackle? I don't even know. Is it so George Fitzpatrick? Uh, I can't remember who. You were the one who was watching the offensive line at practice those first couple days, or that first day. I don't yeah, remember who I, you said was the two. What was that, four days ago? That is so out of my <laughs> head. two weeks ago. No well, what I will say is, like, that. they were actually running us through there pretty fast today, too. So there weren't, like, any Luke Montgomery questions. Hey, how's that going so far? Um, you didn't I, talk about- I tried to ask one. One Luke Montgomery question, and he lumped it in with all the young guys. And instead of talking about Luke Montgomery, he just told us George Fitzpatrick and Tegra Chibola have lost their black stripes, which kudos to them, but it doesn't solve the issue here of our original conversation of who's the second left tackle. We're talking Justin Fry's coach speaking it up a little bit, huh? I was not there. It's it's elite level coach speak. Indiana licking their chops. <laughs> but he he got into a spiel. I was only over there for like the last five minutes, but he got into the spiel of what Ryan Day was talking about today, and you know playing hard and balance. It was all the things that you would see on a PowerPoint at a coaching convention. Was Boo. basically his conversation. Justin, I don't mean to cut you off, but we're getting eleven minutes. Nobody cares. Can we talk about players more? It's okay. Actually, it's not. That's th- that actually like the idea of like sort of filibustering to avoid actually talking about players and football. Like, is that's Trestle esque. That's like we always said. It's we would get Jim Trestle for an hour and get six minutes of information. You get Urban Meyer for twenty minutes and get twenty five minutes of information. Because Urban Meyer would be like, "You guys want to talk about the players who had a bad practice today? Let's go." Okay, that's not what we're asking, but we just want information. This is a tough spot of this. This is why we really are looking forward, assuming it happens, to being able to watch practice on Saturday because we just want to gather information. And the bottom line is the more information we have, it's not about making judgments. It's about having smarter conversations. We're not making, we're not looking for conclusions. It's part of the journey. So, uh, so that's why we're here. You guys know that's why we're here. All right, Donovan Jackson is the left guard. So as we transition, I was at Donovan Jackson the whole time. I probably asked three questions about playing left tackle to starting left guard Donovan Jackson because I wanted to make sure, like, where are we with this, this possibility? Because he said, Coach Fry and I sat down and we talked about it and we decided, like, the best thing for the team is for me to be at left guard. It was like, when did you talk about it? So he said it was in January. So it's like in the winter, like, like, we got to figure this out. And the impression that I got from Donovan Jackson was he's open to it, playing left tackle. Maybe it's not what he would pick for himself, but he's 
fairly certain he could do it. He believes he has the reach. He has the feet. He has the skills necessary to play left tackle. And in pursuit of trying to create context, I did ask him, generally speaking, on the offensive line, what's a more difficult transition? Is it changing sides, left to right, right to left? Or is it going from inside to outside? Is it going from guard to tackle? And he said it's more difficult to change sides. Because he was saying when he got here, he was playing right guard. And then like he showed up one day and they're like, you know what, can you be the left guard? And he was like, what? And then it was all the stuff he was going through. You've got to change your stance. You've got to rewire your brain. And it's not it. So that that answers for me, how hard would it be for Donovan Jackson fairly quickly to move from left guard to left tackle by saying he thinks it's harder to move sides? I think the answer is not that hard that this remains to me. And then Berm even asked, like, is this sort of a break glass in case of emergency situation with you and left tackle? And so I think that is a fair situation for it. And then I did talk to Donovan. The comparison for me is a couple of years ago, the Browns in a desperate search for left tackles hit a point where they slid Joel Batonio, their all pro left guard, out to left tackle for just like a little bit. And they were like, oh, uh, I think Joel Batonio would be one of the 10 best left tackles in the league if we actually played him here. But even though he was good at it, they did not want to do it long-term. I came away from the Donovan Jackson discussion, and then I know you guys said, Stephen, I think it got taken to Justin Fry. Mm-hmm. I think my interpretation, this is not coming from Donovan Jackson, my interpretation is that the second option at left tackle is Donovan Jackson but they do not really want that to be the option. But were it to become the best option, I do not think it would require a seismic shift or a month of time to get him ready to do that. But but the discussion kind of around it from Donovan's perspective was like, listen, man, we have a lot of good tackle options. Like we're going to be fine there. That's We don't need me to be that. So then if you reach the point where the first part of that sentence, we have a lot of good tackle options, is no longer the case, then maybe you look at this differently. And by the way, the other thing is, for instance, if Tegra Shabola and Zen Mahalski are working at right tackle and we're going to finish the pod with them, and all of a sudden you would need a left tackle, it might be easier for Donovan Jackson to move from left guard to left tackle than it would be for Zen Mahalski or Tegra Shabola, two young guys who have not played to move from right tackle to left tackle when they have been repping at right tackle the whole time. So I think that's a little part of it too. But then Steven, we took it to Justin Fry. You got, you took it to Justin Fry. What was that side of the Donovan Jackson tackle conversation? Yeah. He echoed a lot of what you were saying that Donovan Jackson was saying, where it was a conversation and, you know, even the coach big part of it, if Donovan could play center, if he's, if he wanted to, he's that athletic, he could play all five spots, but it was in the best of what they want to do, getting the best five out there and leaving him at that left guard spot, which he kind of dismissed it. He didn't necessarily go into depth about it the same way Donovan Jackson did because Donovan got three, four questions by the, the great Doug Lay Maurice over there. But by the oh, way yeah. that you interpreted it, um, just to push back on that, would you say that he would be the second option for like that game? Let's just say it happens against Indiana. Like, 
Josh Fryer gets abducted by aliens in the second quarter of the Indiana game. Are you saying that in that game they would shift Donovan Jackson over and then maybe they'd figure out where they go from there once you get into the next week of game prep? Or are you saying that your impression is there's a chance that Donovan Jackson could just be the left tackle in a situation where Josh Fryer got abducted by aliens? Because I think those are two very different things. I think I'm saying the opposite of what you proposed. Because as we said, there's always two different ways of being a backup. There's the guy, I just turned my ankle, I lost my shoe, who's going into the game for you? And there's the, that guy's not here anymore. Who's the long-term solution? And as you said, Stephen, that's a very different discussion. I would guess in the midst of something, the guy who's actually the backup left tackle on the depth chart and in practice would more likely be the person who comes in for Josh Fryer, if they would for some reason believe that Josh Fryer is no longer one of their best five, either because he's abducted by aliens mm-hmm. or just because we reach a situation like we did in camp a couple of years ago with the Dewan Jones swap, my impression there is what would then happen to left tackle? And I don't know if you're saying, if we're saying, well, Shabol and Mahalski are tackles two and three, and they're both on the right side. And they're young, and to ask them to rewire their brains, I don't know that that's where we are. And then who else is there? Well, who else is there is a returning starter who believes he is physically able. He has the traits necessary to do it. And who says sliding out would not be a big deal. I think if Josh Fryer is not their long-term left tackle in 2023, my guess would be Donovan Jackson is their long-term left tackle in 2023. Even if you turn your ankle against Indiana, maybe that means George Fitzpatrick or somebody else is in there for the rest of that game. That's where I am right now. That might be wrong, but the thing that I wanted to make sure I came away with, away with is like just a sense from Donovan Jackson of like, if they need you, like, can you do it? Are you willing to do it? And my sense is like, yeah, no, he's willing to do it and able to do it. It's just with the structure right now, that's not what they feel like they need. But sometimes needs change. So that's where I am. Do you guys agree generally with that idea? Or do you think, no, I, I, if for whatever reason, Josh Fryer's not the long-term left tackle, do you think it would be somebody else other than Donovan Jackson? Based on what you're saying, I start to, I, it makes more sense to me. It's just, it's he's just such a weapon at left guard that you don't you definitely don't want that to be I think the first option um but I think they just have more plug and play type guys whether you're talking Enoch Vamahi Ben Chrisman like I feel like they would maybe have some more plug and play type guys at guard that it would then make more sense than to uh, maybe it's a bigger leap to plug some of these tackles in at left tackle at that point. I think I can see where you guys are coming from, but I mean, Zen Maholsky spent last year repping in practice at left tackle as a backup tackle. That's true. If he didn't necessarily do it in games. And I, I understand where Donovan is saying that it would just be easier to kick out for him, but that was like one of the first, I wasn't at Josh Fryer the whole time, but one of the first things I asked him was how has that transition been from moving from 
work from repping things right-handed basically because you're a right tackle and now having to flip over to the left side and he downplayed the the difficulties of that so maybe that the question of what's harder kicking outside or changing size might vary depending on the player we're talking about here because you know Tegra Shibola is technically going from inside to outside now and he's having his own transition with that as well so I I think I, I'm more coming from a place of looking at it as I don't disagree with you, but it may be more of a who is better, uh, uh, a, the person who loses the right tackle job. So either Tegra Shibola or Zim Maholsi at being a left tackle or Enoch Vamahi or anybody else at being a left guard that make make the decision there because you still want to maximize Donovan Jackson. So if you can plug somebody else into that left tackle spot who does it, Maybe he's not as good as Josh Farr, because if he was, then he'd be a battle at left tackle right now. But it's not that big of a drop-off that you feel like you need to 100% move Donovan Jackson. I could see them doing that as well, even if in that moment it's just kick Donovan Jackson out and we'll figure it out later in the week. Left tackle is the most important spot in the offensive line, though. So yeah. that's part of this, too, is like if you're going to – if you feel like, okay, we need – we're going to have a weakness. Donovan Jackson is going to be pretty good at his job, whatever you ask him to do. And I don't know if you, if it's not Josh Fryer, I don't, what do you know about anybody else who could be the left tackle if it's not Josh Fryer? So, and it is George Fitzpatrick was the guy. I double checked what I wrote from the first day when I was supposed to be watching offensive line. It was George Fitzpatrick at left tackle. So, but for now, Donovan Jackson's a left guard. He's good. He said he's hard on himself. He's a perfectionist. He thinks he did pretty good last year, but he thinks there's a lot of things he could improve at. And he watches film and he sees that. Um, and that, like, by the way, like, hey, you're an old guy in the offensive line room right now. So as a second year starter or third year guy, that's the transition. He said that's kind of weird, but he's also up for that. He's just, he's ready for anything. I mean, he carries, he's a very, like pleasant guy, like gregarious guy, but also this is just like the confidence of somebody who's been a very good football player for a long time. He knows what he's capable of and he is, he's a hundred percent ready. I think to be a really, really good left guard in 2023, but I also think he'd be ready to be a very more than serviceable left tackle. So he's going to be the left guard. He's in a good place. He's feeling good. Everybody should feel good about Donovan Jackson. I think in the coming season. Did we, he say anyone, Justin Fry? He calls him Donnie, Justin Fry. It's like Donovan is so regal. Other, and then other Justin Fry's always like, everybody, oh, Donnie's everybody, great. Like, everybody calls him Donnie. I think us in the media are the only people who call him Donovan. It's like Donnie Osmond. Donnie Osmond, Donnie Most, who played Ralph Mouth on Happy Days. That's when I say Donnie. I don't want to call him Donnie. Donovan is regal. He the king yeah. of guards, King Donovan. He doesn't seem like a Donnie. Donnie seems like someone no. who's like I'm gonna I'm gonna insult the Donnies out there. Doesn't it seem like someone who's a little bit more like squirrely or like someone who's more like he doesn't have the same presence. No, he has the presence of a Donovan. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, no, he's all he'll always be Donovan to us on Buckeye Talk. When he comes up, we'll have him on. We could have like a we could have Donovan Jackson on for an exclusive thirty minute interview and spend twenty six minutes discussing what we should call him. And why he seems like more of a Donovan than a Donnie. And then we'll be like, oh, how do you play? How do you play offensive line? Oh, that's cool. Anyway, do you like chicken fingers? And then out. And then be the Buckeye Talk experience. Okay. 
quick break. No, actually, I just I said, did he say anything about that? I was like, oh, but he calls him Donnie. Did he actually say anything about Donovan Jackson? Nathan, did anything come up? Or was that we were too worried about the news guy, new guys that Justin Fry didn't get any Donovan Jackson questions? The the one about the, the, the conversation about left tackle was was really where that was centered. I mean, this again, that's when you've got yeah. two spots and nobody asked about um, Matt Jones, like the first question about Matt Jones. So, again, when you've got three spots it, that are brand it. new or that you need new starters at, there's a lot of other guys to churn through before you get to the second and third year starters. Did we even get Matt Jones today? I didn't see him. No, hmm. I think maybe not. Yeah, we know uh-huh. what's up, and he knows what's up. <laughs> He's like, I'm good. I'm I'm fine. I'm good. I'm a returning starter. They don't want me. He should have just came out and gave a statement real quick of still starting right guard. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sixth-year starter, sixth-year Buckeye, second-year starter Matthew Jones. And we're like, could we please talk to the freshman who's fourth team currently? When we come back, we got to talk about center, right guard, right guards, as we just teased, will be a 13-second conversation, and then right tackle. But we'll do all that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Carson Hinsman, he's the center. He's from Wisconsin, and he milks cows. So he, I was at the table for Carson Hinsman the whole time. It really is. He was talking about last year he played a lot of right tackle in practice because he said Justin Fry wanted him to get accustomed to the speed of the game. So I thought that was interesting and that he just did not maybe necessarily know he was going to be a center here. He said the first time, so he wasn't here last spring. He said there, I said, when's the first time you snapped the ball at Ohio state? He said it was the second week of preseason camp last August because they just had him do it. And then Jacob James was hurt. And so Justin, they were having a scrimmage and Justin Fry was like, oh, you're starting in the scrimmage today at center. Like a day after Carson Hensman had snapped the ball for the first time as a college player. He's like, what? So we all know all the nice things that Justin Fry and Ryan Day have said about Carson Hensman, which is what clued us into the fact that this guy's going to be the starting center this year. We can talk more about that. But Nathan, you also wrote an extensive piece on Carson Hensman that dropped at Cleveland.com on Thursday morning what's the background from the people who know him best about what, what put this guy in this situation? Well, and it helps explain why he started off at tackle and then moved his way back in. And I was talking to Luke Whipler about this actually after the, the pro day on Wednesday, but Hensman, it came from a smaller school. Northwest Wisconsin is actually like a Minneapolis suburb basically. Um, and they run the Flexbone offense, which is like a cousin of the old wishbone of run heavy offense, nothing but center snaps. So he was a center um, or under center snaps, I should say, as opposed to shotgun. So he was a center his sophomore year in high school, but then they, they moved him around because it it was something advantageous for them. He was so good that it forced other teams If you're pulling him at guard or tackle. You can get and even tight end. Sometimes you could get some matchups that, that uh, put other teams in bad spots. But that obviously put him a little bit behind in terms of pass pro. I mean, he was, a, he was a great defensive player in high school. He was a small school state defensive player of the year as a defensive tackle, which isn't, I don't think, an easy thing to do. And has uses that aggression uh, as an offensive lineman. But from a technical standpoint, he definitely had to catch up when he got here, as a lot of these guys do. So that's what Whipler was describing, that, yeah, you saw some of those deficiencies when he first got here. But you put them at tackle, you put them out in space and get them used to pass pro in that situation and kind of um, it's kind of, it's like scared straight almost, I think. And then you start moving them inside and it, and it gradually becomes a little bit easier for them 
the farther inside they go. And so that's one reason why that's made sense maybe is his long-term destination. I don't really think from talking to his coach, his dad, his mom, I don't know if they thought he was going to be a center for sure at the next level. But because he had that sort of background and because he's always been a guy who has he's a hardworking guy that comes from that, that that farm background, but also a guy who's just pretty sharp. Like he processes things. Well, his mom was telling the story about uh, freshman year being at the state championship game. And he's like telling the older kids, like seniors, like how the play that they were supposed to run was supposed to work. And like, he's always had that kind of acumen. And I think that is a critical part to who you end up putting at center. So he said, I asked about like trying to like, learned stuff from Luke Whipple last year. He said Luke Whipple is like the smartest football player he's ever been around. He said he watches a lot of Whipple film, but he said, I, I do think I'm different than Whipple. I'm bigger than Whipple, different body type. It's funny. Whipple was like 6'3", 303 at the combine. He was listed at Ohio State like 6'3", 300. Carson Hensman's only listed at 6'4", but it, do, it does feel like at about 300 now, it feels like maybe he could put more on. He said, I think physically, he thinks of himself maybe more like Josh Myers. And Ohio State kind of goes through that sometimes. Sometimes it's like they have like a... I don't say this wrong, like more of a squat little center and then more of a big physical center. They've had different kind of guys through the years. And, but he said, Jason Kelsey is his favorite player. He watches a lot of Jason Kelsey film, the center for the Philadelphia Eagles. And so he, he studies that and, and like, he's all in on being a center now, but it was a little, this is a, we've sort of talked about this with him. Snap the ball on campus for the first time in August and it's March and he's the starter. It's like, okay, like Steven, thank goodness for Carson Hinsman because he solved an issue for them. And I, tr- I was trying to ask him like, why did dust Justin Fry came in on February one and was like, yep, Carson Hinsman. I was like, what did you do? And he just, you know, he didn't really give an answer. It was like, you know, was bowl prep. It was workouts in the winter. It was everything of like, he thinks it was like consistently, just consistently showing Justin Fry, like I'm capable of this. But Stephen, it was, I think it's remarkable to me to think about that, how at ease Justin Fry was on February 1st about that position for a guy who had snapped his first ball as a Buckeye, August, September, October, November, December, January, February, six months earlier. Yeah, and uh- there was always a plan for him to be interior, not necessarily center. And I remember jo- Justin Fry talking about that in fall camp, how he wanted to start that freshman class of offensive linemen, all that tackle. More one, because I mean, the lack of depth there was just so stark when we would go in there and watch some of those fall camp practices, but also just to get them playing in space and get them learning that basic thing before he started moving them all over the place. But with Carson Hensman, he's not only did he solve an issue, he solved an unexpected issue because none of us thought Luke Whipple was going pro. They didn't even think Luke Whippler was going pro. So Carson Hensman, as the work he put in would have should have just been a bonus. At least how we're looking at it is like, yeah, if something happens to Luke Whippler, we have a guy we can rely on in Carson Hensman because he's taken a huge jump and he's going to use this year to really make a jump. And so in 2024, we should probably pencil this guy's name in to be the guy to replace Luke Whippler. Well, that timeline got moved up a year because Luke Whippler decided to go pro. So, I mean, we're talking about, 
the left tackle spots where it's who's number two. There's some issues here. We think Josh Fryer is going to be good. We think Tegra Shabola or Zim Mahosi is going to be good at the other tackle spot, but they're replacing some dudes. Well, Luke Whipple was pretty good these last two years too. And none of us are sitting here thinking there's going to be an issue with the center spot because of the way they talked about the way Carson Hensman has really developed over the last three or four months here, regardless of whether he had taken a snap at center or not in his life. As we said, class of 2020, 24-7 sports composite rating. Interior offensive lineman, Josh Fryer's 28th. Class of 2022, interior offensive lineman, Carson Hinsman's 9th. So that's a little part of it, too. That This guy was judged to have, Nathan, this, this ability. You, people saw it in high school. And I know it's been covered a bit, but you've talked about it. May as well talk about it again. Like Justin Fry, one of his first duties was like, "That's Ohio State needs this guy. Let's make sure this happens, even if you have to go into the middle of Wisconsin to make sure it gets locked in. Yeah, I mean, again, having to to fly into Minneapolis and drive out in the middle of nowhere. And Justin Fry was joking to me. Justin Fry is from Indiana. And he's like, hey, I'm from the middle of nowhere. And even I'm like, where am I going here? You know, he, he literally grew up on a farm. He would hang out at his grandparents' farm that was up the road, which was the one his dad uh, grew up on. His parents are both educators uh, as well. And, I mean, that's <laughs> – they they had to have him. I, it's weird to talk about. Like, you shouldn't be in that situation in some ways at Ohio State, right? Like, I don't think you ever necessarily want to lose a guy that you have a commitment from that you want. But, like, Ohio State losing one offensive lineman who was ranked – in the like 170s, 180s, like that shouldn't have been thought of as like a catastrophe, uh, but it would sure look like one right now in a lot of ways. Like what would be doing it? What would they be doing at center? And even if you had, even if that really forced their um, hand as far as like maybe putting Matt Jones there, where is that opening you up to a vulnerability somewhere else? Like Carson Hensman right now, whether he wins the job or just helps stabilize the position is, is a huge player. And I don't think they were from talking to the family, I don't think they thought it was like on the precipice of losing him necessarily, but it's just part of the due diligence that you have to do in recruiting that when you, when you fire the guy that recruited the guy, you got to go put in some FaceTime and do a home visit or make some kind of contact like that and, 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 and get it done. So yeah, uh, Carson Hensman, you know, uh, we think of Wisconsin as the Midwest, but he's from, it's 12 hours away. His dad said by car, to get home for him. So like there's guys who are from Florida and Georgia and wherever else that are actually closer to Columbus than Carson Hensman is. So the whole point of him of firing the guy who recruited you, especially since you had just committed there right before he got fired. Yeah. It's also, I mean, he found out through the media, he was down there at the all American bowl in San Antonio. And one of the media members was just like, Hey, have you heard about Greg Chidrawa yet? And he's like, no, well, they just fired him. He's like, huh? So it's it's all that these moving pieces to it. He could have very easily been like, "Ah, that's a a big mess over there. I'll go elsewhere." But stuck in with it. Yeah. No, and it just as we've covered that. It's a, it's he's locked it down, and he he seems ready for it. So right guard Matthew Jones. We don't think he came out. He's Matthew Jones. He was a solid starter at right guard for them last year. He is the last member. I guess Proctor too, right? He and Proctor, the last guys from 2018 that are still on this roster in year six. So he is back to take advantage of that. And he's going to be the right guard. And if Carson Hensman gets abducted by aliens, Vic Cutler, the transfer that they've talked about is just making a big jump from Louisiana. 
he's the backup guy now, it seems like, but also you wonder, would they move some people around? Because we know Matthew Jones can play center if need be, but he's the right guard for now. So let's get the right tackle because that's really where the biggest battle is on the offensive line. And we'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug, Nathan, and Steven, 614-350-3315 if you want to be a tech subscriber. Love to have you there. Cleveland.com slash OSU to read our stories. Who talked, who was at the table with Zen Mahalski and who was at the table with Tegra Shabola? I was at Tegra. I was there for, for parts of both those guys, yeah. Okay, so let's start with Tegra then, Steven. Tegra Shabola, big-time recruit. Second year guy. Can I just say, like from the action figure side of things, just I thought he looked like an action figure. It might have been because the way he had his pants kind of pulled up above his knees and it was like, oh, that's where the where the plastic knee joint would be. And he had a headband on that made his hair look really good. And I, I just thought to myself, this guy looks like the action figure of an offensive lineman. It's like that's yeah. That's not what it's about, but also, okay, this works. Again, I there's some other guys. Who's the guy I said the guy from Dartmouth? Miles Walker. Like the first day I was like, that looks mm-hmm. like it works. Some guys, it just looks like it works. And Tegra Shibola, Steven, looks like it works. Now he just has to make sure he can go out and play the position. Yeah, Tegra's looked the part had the eye test down since he was like 14 years old, maybe even earlier than that. I remember talking to him once when he was still a recruit, and I was like, I actually, I think I said to him in some lines, you are a large human being to only be 15 years old. And he went, yeah, it's bulking season for us right now. I'm like, no, dude, it's not the bulking season. This is you. But fuck, I talk. Yeah. There's an element with him, and he, he really alluded to this when we were talking to him. There's some Paris Johnson elements there, and I'm not saying the talent level at all. Don't. Please, if he wins this right tackle job, I'm not expecting him to be Paris Johnson year three. I'm only allowing sacks against Georgia type of guy. But the the idea of he is a very aggressive blocker and almost to the point that it worked for him when he was in high school. It's the reason he was here in the first place because he can put people on their butts without much of a problem. But then you get here and you learn very quickly that that's not the way to go about things. He, he was talking about there a couple times where he'd go up against Jack Sawyer or some of these other defensive ends and he'd end up on his stomach because he would go on with his head down thinking he could just bulldoze everybody and it wouldn't work. Paris, in a way, had a lot of those same issues. If you go watch some of his high school highlights, it's like very, very aggressive and all not always balanced, not always calm and contained the way it needed to be. And for him, that's been the most difficult transition while you're going from guard to tackle is now you're playing in space where when you're inside, he said the action's right there with you. And you can just – you can kind of bulldoze guys, but when you're moving outside – the action is coming to you. You have to be a little bit more patient. So he's had to learn the balance, when to be aggressive and when to let things come to him, which Paris, especially over this last week since he's been here doing pro day stuff, has really helped him with. And he's known Paris since they were little kids. So he's it's been a big brother, little brother type of relationship for a long time. And who better to learn from than a guy who went through exactly what you're going through? He started – Paris didn't necessarily come here starting out as a guard, but because of how things worked out, he spent more of his time his first two years repping at guard in practice and then finally got to play tackle as a junior and he excelled at it. So for Tegra, who would better to learn that from than someone who's been through exactly what he's going through right now? And again, on the recruit rankings, he's the number 10 tackle in the class of 2022. So this is deep, you know, ta- we- deep tackle class yeah. for 2022. Yeah. 
Right. So that's, I mean, he's almost a top 100 national player. He's yeah. number 10 tackle. But that idea of like, hey, oh my gosh, the offensive line, what are you going to do? It's like, oh, we got a couple second-year guys who were pretty highly rated recruits who were ready to go. If Carson Hensman and Tegra Shabola are the answers, it's like, okay, again, like that's how it's kind of supposed to work. Um, it feels like a good option, Nathan, right? And did you like? Did you think that just like that Tegra's giving off the vibe of like, hey, man, if this is if they need me now, I'm ready to do this. No, I mean, I think it's still a work in progress for him. It's still a work in progress a little bit for Zimahovsky too. Both these guys are making some adaptations this spring. You know, Shibola moving from guard to tackle. You know, that thing we were talking about before with Carson Hensman, like you get kicked outside and now all of a sudden before where you had some protection on either side when you were trying to block whoever, now it's you and it's JT Tuamaloau or it's Jack Sawyer or it's Caden Curry and you're in space. I thought he, he said a great thing to one of your questions. Stephen was like, when you're, when you're blocking the violence, when you're at guard, the block, the violence is here. Mm-hmm. When you're at tackle, the violence is behind you. You have to go find it. You have to go mm-hmm. get it. And that is a big adjustment, I think, especially for a young player. But uh, again, just the the sheer size of him, it's coming along. It's it. It, it was interesting that he lost his black stripe today. Um, apparently, apparently Zimahowski actually was the one who took it from him because he's his his big brother in the program. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was an interesting note that. The, the two guys who are competing for the job are like connected as the big brothers. And the one of them is kind of giving him the, the ceremonial thing. But Mahalski also at the same time, Josh Fryer was saying like, you know, I played a lot of right tackle last year. So moving over to left tackle, it's not that big a difference for Zimahalski. He thinks it's a huge difference. He called it almost a completely different position to move from left to right. But the difference is Josh Fryer has been bouncing all over the place since he got here. Zimahalski has yeah. been a left tackle like capital L, capital T, left tackle, since the moment he got here. He did not take a snap at right tackle until the first practice of the spring, he said. like That he that just wasn't what they had had him doing. He'd been repping exclusively at left tackle because I think they long-term needed to prepare him for that job. So both of those guys are making – this early in the camp, you know, two weeks in the camp, you know, three with break in between, like are still going through some of the adaptation of – of the change. And there was a lot of talk from, from Justin Fry about, and, and, and you get it from Ryan day too, about the, the winner loser periods and the, the competitive periods and how much they're going to be ramping into those and how in the, in the fall, the winner loser periods are on Saturdays and you just lose the game. So in the spring, the winner loser periods have to be, you won or lost. And here's why. And there were a lot of offensive linemen today who were talking about, you know, I'm at a place where I get beat uh, by one of these edge rushers, and then I go ask him, like, hey, what what, what did I need to do better there? And there's a conversation that's sort of happening from one side of the ball to the other to help some of these guys uh, get up to speed and, and advance to the position where now they are starting caliber at Ohio State. It's I, I would not say right now that these guys talk like that is where they are today. But I also don't mm-hmm. think that that's a alarm bell thing because it's the second week of spring. Some of these guys are second year players, redshirt freshmen, didn't play a lot, if at all, last year. And the talent may be there. It just needs to be elevated in the Ohio State way. And you've got another 11 practices this spring. You've got a whole summer development. You've got preseason camp to get them ready for September 2nd. Yeah, I thought, think that's a good way to put it. They talk today like they've had four practices which is perfect. I mean, you either want that or you want them talking like they're 
ahead of schedule. As long as they're not talking like they're behind schedule, I think there's no reason to be alarmed by anything that's happening. Yeah, four out of fifteen. So um, that's yeah. You don't want to fake. You don't have to fake it, right? You've got to go out and actually prove it. When we think about actual snaps, so the guys that we're talking about at tackle, Josh Fryer last year, two hundred and thirty-one snaps according to PFF, with a grade of 58.8, which is not that good, but that's okay. They're all working to get better. Um, and then, let's see, Tegra Shabola, 51 snaps last year. Zed Mahalski, 79 snaps last year. When you have that few snaps, it almost doesn't matter what your grade is. So, I mean, we're talking about fewer than 400 combined snaps among the three guys who are going to make up two of the starting tackle positions on a team that is trying to win a national championship with the best receiver core in the country. It's just facts. It's okay. Well, actually, I wouldn't say it's okay. It is what it is, which I think is a good, what are you going to do unless you go in the portal in May or whatever it is after spring football and be like, okay, I don't know. I don't think that's impossible. It would not be what where Ohio State has done really previously, but I don't was Trey Sermon then? When did Trey Sermon come? Is Trey Sermon here for the spring or no? No. Was he, he after no. spring? No, he because Mark, Master Teague fall. tore his Achilles on the first practice of spring. So they didn't yeah. like it, the, the need for him got a little bit ramped up because of that. And I I wonder what level of tackle or offensive lineman in general they could would get at this point that would that where they would pull that trigger. But um, I think they would still want some more veteran depth if they could get it. Yeah, what would be the uh, figurative tearing of the Achilles at tackle that would open them up to that? Like we we're not we're you know no we're not jinxing anybody, but just like hey we have a gap. So that running back room had a gap once that happened with Master Teague. And if something, whatever it would be, that would make Justin Fry and Ryan Day and Mark Pantone feel like there's a gap, that's the example, I guess, that we're looking for. Then the guy they got, Karate, kicked his way to an Ohio State rushing record in a single game. So I don't know. I mean, it's one of those, what, it's like, what, who, what could you get there? Well, Maybe you could get a guy who in the spring felt like he was competing to start at a big-time program and by the end of spring felt like he wasn't going to start but thinks he could start at Ohio State and be a good player. I don't think that's impossible, right? It's threading the needle, Nathan, but it's not impossible that a guy like that would exist because maybe at the where the place he is, he's the third tackle and they have the equivalent of Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones. And this guy's getting ready to be a senior and is like, I can't get on the field, but I'm good. And Ohio State doesn't have Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones anymore. It's it's narrow. It's a, it's a tiny, but uh, you could see yeah. how there's a chance that it could exist. Just doesn't just doesn't hit the ears right, though. <laughs> it would have to be that kind of scenario, right? Because that was essentially what happened with Trey Sermon, right? Like, I don't remember the name of the Oklahoma back is escaping me. He'd been usurped a little bit had had really yeah. lost his chance to establish himself as a lead back. So it made sense that he was looking for a one-year shot somewhere else. And I think that's what it would sort of have to be. It was a combination of that and then also him getting hurt and just looking for a fresh start. Uh, yeah. 
But also, Ohio State maybe would have looked for a running back anyway if they weren't completely sold on Master Teague being the guy. That probably opened the door for what you know range of running backs they could look at because now it was a completely open starting job for that spot. So maybe that's the co- concept here. Do they already have a list of names they're thinking about? And if that unfortunate situation happens, does it just widen the range depending on what's in the portal? Yeah, uh, Kennedy Brooks kind of right. had taken the, yeah, the reins right. uh, at, and then Ramondre Stevenson, who wound up being like a he's like a good NFL player now, mm-hmm. was also at Oklahoma then. Like you could sort of, I think maybe see that coming. But I think Stephen, you make an interesting point. The injury to Master Teague made it imperative. We have to go get a running back. It's also possible that if through the course of spring. They just had been like, you know what? We could use a little help here, right? Based on performance. Mm-hmm. Because as we had many conversations here, the idea that is Master Teague a sure thing, number one running back at Ohio State? No. They could have reached that conclusion anyway. So that, I think, is the example that we're looking for here. No alien abductions, but would you just reach a point where, man, the performance at this position is not quite up to the Ohio State standard Let's take one more look in the portal and see if there's a Jonah Jackson type answer out there. If there's a Trey Sermon type answer out there of a guy who has done it. No doubt about it. He's done it. And we think he'd come in right now and be ready to do it. But we're not taking away an opportunity from our guys because our guys had an opportunity and they maybe didn't seize it. So now we're not we're not cutting the line and feeling like we're we're taking something away from our loyal, dedicated Buckeyes. Mm. You know, it just kind of didn't happen, which I do think there's a, there's some nuance in there that might matter to how Ohio State thinks about this. And, and the other thing to remember here is, you know, they care about numbers at, at a point. Like, there is a point where your numbers are too low, and the, trans, the offensive line is one area where they could lose guys to the portal at the end of the spring. So, like, the guy that they have taken in this cycle, Vic Cutler, Again, not a highly ranked guy out of high school, not a guy who blew the conference away down there at Louisiana Monroe, just kind of a a guy who has done his job. So there could be other guys like that that they feel like they can take that just sort of help them with numbers, because I think there's going to be some guys, could be some guys that that look elsewhere after the spring. So the general Justin Fry vibe was concern, hopeful optimism, Guys working hard, and I'm not going to say anything either way. What was the general mood with the offensive line coach? Talk about all this, Nathan. Well, I not concern. Again, that's not really uh, – you don't have a lot of assistants who just show up at these tables anymore and are like, I don't know what's going – I don't know what we're <laughs> going to do. It's <laughs> – you know what I mean? Because that's not what they're paid to do. They're paid to – hey, I don't care. I don't – I don't care. Like you, you go, go fix this, go figure this out. Uh, but I think there was a lot of talk, especially about, you know, some of these guys like Carson Hensman the, a year ago at this time, what was, I can't remember the phrase he used. It was something about milking cows and knocking icicles off of barns or something like that. Like he was still in high school a year ago at this time. He did not get here till last summer. You know, George Fitzpatrick, very, new to the program. Tegra Shabola, only a second year in the program. Like they are asking some really young guys and, and they're guys who like you plot it out and you see, you can take tech. Okay. Tegra Shabola in his second year equates to player X in his second year from the last five, six years of Ohio state football. You can do that and you can do it with Zen Mahalski probably. And you can do it with um, 
any of these guys. But to ask some of these guys to be doing this in their second year is a little bit sped up. It doesn't mean they can't do it. it doesn't mean they won't eventually be good. But it it tells you something that they are asking them to do things that they previously did not even ask, have to ask. You and I were having a conversation today about as it related to like center because it's like, well, if Billy Price for some reason wasn't around in 2018, could Josh Myers have started at center as a five-star second-year guy who was eventually going to be a second-year, second-round NFL draft pick? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, probably. Like there's a reasonable chance that that could happen, but they didn't even have to ask him to do that because their offensive line was good enough in, in enough other ways. And so uh, I, I think that's just the thing that we should keep the perspective of that, that even if, if Shabola and Hensman both win jobs and end up being starters for this fall, that is an accelerated path, even over what they've asked guys who are even more of expected to them when they came into the program to do just two years in. That is fair. And I think that is where the, the recruiting lows have hurt the most is just because even uh, unfortunately real life got in the way with Harry Miller, but you can say the same thing about Luke Whippler. He was a year to start. Now he was ready again, but guys, the Luke Whipplers before him weren't put in that position to have to start in year three, even with Harry Miller, he was not going to be asked to be the starting center at Ohio state until his third year in the program. And he already had reps under his belt, but because the num because things have been thrown off by the recruiting. And so the natural progression of how things are supposed to work within that room, whether it's guys who are three and done, or even the guys that you expect to be around for five years has been so thrown off. You're now putting into these situations really uh, this time this year, more than maybe the past years before there's more second year guys you're asking to do things when in years past, it's been just Harry Miller or, you know, just uh, Wyatt Davis or at the end of his second year in the program or just Paris Johnson or just Donovan Jackson last year. I, I will say this flies in the face of the fifth year guy who starts one year at right tackle and does a really good job idea, which we've have seen examples of. But I think generally I would rather start a guy who you always expected to be a starter early than yeah. start a guy who you never thought you were going to have to start. So I, I think yeah. Luke Whipler is a good example there because yeah. maybe they didn't think they didn't think Luke Whipler would be the starting center in year two. But then when that situation happened, Luke Whipler was like, yep. And they all expected him to start in year three. So all you did was speed up his timeline a little bit. And then Luke Whipler physically, mentally, emotionally was ready for a sped up timeline. So the idea of like, oh, what are we going to do at center? Luke Whipler left. What are we going to do? We're going to play Carson Hensman in year two. It's like, okay. And if it's like, hey, Tegra, what are we going to do? I'm going to play Tegra Shabol in year two instead of year three. Okay. I I think that could be fine. The, the part of, and this is not to take away from anybody, but it's just the expectation. We know what that recruiting class was when some of the other guys came in that Fryer was part of. We know that Zen Mahalski was kind of a plan B, plan C kind of guy after they missed on some other tackles. It doesn't mean those guys, Pat Elfline was recruited in the 800s and wound up being an unbelievable all Big Ten offensive lineman here. We know, we know, we know, we know, we know. But I think sometimes when it's close, I'd rather, I'd rather be fast than be doing something that you kind of never thought you were going to have to do. So, you know, but listen, Josh Fryer has put in good work here. Josh Fryer has, I, I think what Josh Fryer did last year has a lot of value. 
And and Josh Fryer earned that. Josh Fryer moved past some other people, right, Nathan? The idea of like, hey, Josh Fryer was their sixth offensive lineman last year. That wasn't by default. There are other guys that could have been the sixth offensive mm-hmm. lineman at Ohio sure. State. He was a, a sixth offensive sure. lineman on an offensive line that's going to send three guys to the first three rounds of the NFL draft. That's pretty good. So I, I don't want to act like Josh Fryer, we think Josh Fryer, I think Josh Fryer is like incapable of this. And it is year four. So this could be right on track for that guy because of that group that came in, as you said, Stephen, he was always the the, the front. It was always mm-hmm. like, hey, who are the guys? Okay, well, Fryer's doing something. You always had your – what was the thing? Was it last spring or was it two springs ago? Wasn't there a moment where Josh Fryer showed up with the ones in a nine-second – a nine-second Twitter clip, and we were like, "What is Josh Fryer going to win a starting job?" That was the spring of twenty. I think season. it was I, honestly. I think it was right before the ACL injury, and it, the, there was some buzz that was starting to build, and it was like, "Oh, he's got a knee injury. Never mind." So, it's a guy who built buzz in year two. That's a thing. So anyway, I just I don't I want to make sure we don't go too far with some of the stuff. They just are in a position that typically they're not asking maybe as much as they're asking of some of these guys in the offensive line. Okay. That's the Friday pod. The plan at the moment is that we're going to pod Saturday afternoon, evening after this practice that we are assuming we're going to be able to watch. So if all that happens, you're getting a sixth pod this week on Saturday and you're going to get if it happens, we're not allowed to text during it, but oh my ma, we're going to your phone's going to be on fire as soon as we're allowed to text when we're done watching that practice. And, and we just, we, if, if, if it happens and the assumption is that it'll happen, it's just a chance to gather information and information is good for everybody. It's not about conclusions. And I do think we have to be careful. It's not like we're like trying to kiss Ohio state's butt, but we're not going to draw conclusions off a scrimmage. That is the fifth of 15 spring practices, but we're going to gather information. And it makes our questions smarter. It makes our coverage smarter. It makes fans smarter. It makes everybody have a better handle of what's going on. And I just think that's that's good for everyone. The truth will set you free. So if that happens, uh, we hope it does. Then we are appreciative of that opportunity. And we'll bring you a sixth pot on Saturday. We'll get into the defensive line. Larry Johnson spoke. All the guys on the defensive line that matter, we talked to them. We'll drop that in sometime next week. We have a bunch of other things to cover next week. But for now, we appreciate you guys making us part of your week. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.